podcast one production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I always saw tennis star Casey Delacqua on court and in interviews and thought she just seemed like this really friendly, girl-next-door type of person. One commentator described her as literally the nicest player on tour. But she was also a fierce competitor. Seven WTA doubles titles. She was the French Open mixed doubles champion, seven-time Grand Slam doubles finalist, and a career-high singles ranking of 26. It's quite a career. But the early days were tough and a far cry from the glamour we often associate with international tennis. As the spotlight shone brighter on Casey, the more piercing the criticism became, in particular the focus on her body and weight in the media. The proud mum rose to the top of her game as an athlete and as an advocate, juggling family commitments and protecting them when former tennis star Margaret Court chose to publicly criticise them. And for Casey, family has always been an important part of her life. So little Casey Delacqua grew up in Perth in Western Australia. Mm. Um, I was really um, close with all my family. I still am. I'm really close. So I grew up um, with an older sister, younger brother, um, lots of cousins and aunties. My nan um, was the eldest of 10. So had a lot of, lot of um, just extended family as well. Always grew up only knowing sport pretty much. So I think from my first memories, my dad played quite high level AFL or waffle back in WA. Yeah. And my mum was always playing softball or some netball during the week. She played midweek ladies tennis. So I just grew up only really ever knowing sport. I liked school, but I liked it to go see my friends and play sport. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much um, little Casey Delacqua. She just, um, yeah, was just a family person and loved my family and also just loved sport pretty much. So when did you pick, first pick up the tennis racket? Um, I was about seven when I first started playing, just down at my local club, the Kingsley Tennis Club in um, (laughs) suburbia, Western Australia. My nan and my pop both played, my mum played, my aunties played. And so (laughs) I was just... You didn't have much of a choice. Not really. Um, So yeah, I just went down to the local club, started like group lessons. And I think my first memories of tennis um, just go back to being fun. Like it was always Mm. so much fun for me. I had my friends from school there, but I also had a group of tennis friends that I loved hanging out with. So I was really drawn to the sport for that reason. Mm. I played a lot of sports growing up, but I remember always asking mum on the weekends and on school holidays, could I enter this tournament or that? Because I loved the social side of tennis so much. And you were obviously good straight away? No, I wasn't actually. Okay. Yeah. So not quite obviously. Yeah. Look, to be honest, I always picked up most sports um, pretty naturally. Mm. So in that sense, um, yeah, I love sport and was always kicking a footy. So I was kind of (laughs) naturally in that way drawn to sport. But with tennis, um, I was actually probably a little bit of a later developer and I specialised a little bit later than most players. So it wasn't until I was about 13 where I stopped playing my other sports Mm -hmm. and kind of solely focused on tennis. I was always the best in Western Australia but nationally, <laughs> which... Oh. <laughs> I like blew up. But I was the best in oh. WA, just WA, just this small little, I little know. part of Australia, not at all. I know. Your state. I'm thinking about that now and it's probably quite high expectations. <laughs> yeah, <I reckon. laughs> um, but yeah, I was always really good in WA, but when I went and played like around Australia, I was never like... Mm-hmm. 
I certainly wasn't like an Ash Barty winning Wimbledon at junior Wimbledon at 15, for example. Sure. Like I was always a little bit behind the eight ball in, in, <laughs> and in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, but yes, like I was always in the top kind of echelon of players. So yeah. I felt I was always close to the top and yeah, so I was on my way to wanting to play tennis, like, and that was my dream. But yep. was it? Would it be a reality? I was never sure. But um, yeah, I just wanted to to have a go at doing that. So humble, aren't you? Like, <laughs> I'm not, not really. I was kind of in the top echelon, but really wasn't that good. I yeah. just don't believe you. But, <laughs> but could they tell? Could people tell when you were little and first hitting the ball? Were they like, "Oh, she's pretty good. She's got some skill here. Oh, she okay, could go yes. far." Yeah, in yeah. that sense, yeah, definitely because. I was a lefty and I always striked the ball like really mm. well. Like I had really like nice eye, hand-eye coordination and, yeah, so I struck the ball well and it was kind of something that stuck with me my whole career. Everyone would say, Casey, she's got beautiful stroke. She's so natural. The way mm. she hits the ball, she just needs to work on this or this and this. But <laughs> the whole um, naturally striking the ball was always something um, that stuck with me through my career. But, um, yeah, so, yes, I guess I was – Decent yeah. as a young star. <laughs> it's awkward for you to it say. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. were good. It's okay. Um, <laughs> do that. Did you look up to, do you have any other female role models in tennis that you especially looked up to? When I got into my teens and mm. I got into the Australian Institute of Sport and I started to, I guess, learn about what Fed Cup was and what mm. it meant to represent your country, I then, yes, I looked up to players like Alicia Mollick, mm-hmm. Renee Stubbs, Nicole Pratt, Sam Stoza. I mean, these girls were only three or four years Mm. older than me. But I think when you're in a sport and you have this dream, it's so important to have girls just above you Mm. to inspire to, to have good relationships with. And I was really drawn to wanting to be part of that group. Mm. So I guess it pushed me as a player, but I also just felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And Mm. that was really important. I think it's important in an individual sport. And they're now like obviously some of my best friends Mm. um, and they have all had fantastic careers. And I felt like I always had them on the road with me to bounce anything Mm. off. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, When you were 13, you said that's when you um, quit your other sports and then focused solely on tennis. What was the impetus for that? Like what, what, what sparked that? Yeah, so I think it just got to a point where I think like any sport, you eventually have to start, if you want to have a career in that sport, you have to, I guess, make some sacrifices and some choices to put some other things aside to focus. And I felt like that was the time for me. I wasn't hitting as much on court than other girls were around my around Australia. And I just felt if I really wanted to do tennis, I had to start making some sacrifices. And so I had to stop some other sports to put more time into tennis. And then I also had to sacrifice a lot through my teenage years, like wouldn't go to sleepovers at some of my friends' houses when the other girls would be because I'd have a tournament the next day. Mm. And it was probably from 13 onwards that it started to become less about fun so much and social and more about, um, I guess, a dream for me, but Mm. for so many other people, like she could be a really good player and it became a bit more intense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was definitely some adjustments for me during that period. I think it was more that you just had to, I had to give more time to tennis if I wanted to become a tennis player. And from 13, you knew this was the career for you and you wanted it as a career? Yeah, definitely. And I was really grateful for the people that I had around me at the time. So having a really good state coach over in WA who allowed me to have my family and my social and then, but also Mm. have that time where, um, to make sure that I was getting enough matches and being competitive to, um, 
take that path of becoming a tennis player. I remember my dad also ordering online the beep test back in the day. <laughs> so I remember about... On a cassette tape? Yeah, probably, a, yes, yeah? a cassette. Yep. Yep. And we'd take it down to the local netball court. And I hated running. I was mm. never a natural long distance runner. I had to really work hard on my fitness throughout my mm. whole career. It was something that I always had to focus on. And so my dad... Um, thought he'd try and help me and bought me the beep test. And now I'm like traumatized from those beeps. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone who played sport yeah. is a bit traumatized from the beep test. They? Yeah. Oh, it's a horrible test. Um, so I think that's when it became a bit more, like I said, I think, and I, I did really struggle during a few years because again, I'm so social. I'm so bubbly. Mm. I like being around people and it became less about that and more about the tennis. And I think it was, it was a bit of an adjustment period, but Ultimately, yeah, I always had this dream of wanting to be a tennis player. Mm. I always wanted to be an athlete, to be honest. I wanted mm. to be good at something in sport. Yeah. And then I remember also my mum and dad, like tennis at when Wimbledon was on, it was the only tournament that I was allowed to stay up past midnight to watch <laughs> and stuff like that. I also painted my room purple and green back in the day. Oh, <laughs> so Wimbledon, Wimbledon colours. colours. Yeah. yeah. So I think... The whole dream for me started around then as well. So 13 was a big turning point yeah. for you with your career. But yeah. what happened from 13 to when you were on tour? In your later teens? Around the time when I was about 15 or 16, um, I was starting to do, I guess, better across Australia. And at the time, Tennis Australia, we were part of the Australian Institute of Sport. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think... It was just the time where I kind of had to move over east and give myself more opportunity Mm. or it was obviously to stay in WA and you just, I sometimes felt I was quite isolated over there and I felt like this was the opportunity that I had to take. Mm. So being so close with my family was, Mm. it was hard decision. I think for even my mum and dad, I left school after year year 11 Mm -hmm. and then um, basically just took a chance on tennis if all those eggs in that basket. Pretty much. Yeah. And so I left home. Um, I got put, it was the institute was in Melbourne. I got put with a billet family at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I left pretty much my whole life as I knew it to chase my dream. <laughs> and, yeah, it was really difficult. So I was obviously in the institute, but there was a lot of differences to even the training that I had in WA. It was felt more individualized. I felt really mm-hmm. part of a team in WA when I went to the Institute. It was kind of like everyone for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, it was probably something that let me down through most of my career. I wasn't probably selfish enough. I probably wasn't, didn't make that a priority enough <laughs> to push myself as much as I probably should have. But yeah, the Institute was played a big part in those kind of years between say 16 and 21, where mm-hmm. I was had a dream and I did get a lot of support from them as in terms of coaching and I got opportunities to go on international tours and expose me to that whole world of being a professional mm. player. We talk about your dad ordering the beep test, but what other impact <laughs> and role did your parents have on your career in those early days? So my dad probably played the, he was never a pushy parent and mm-hmm. I've had unconditional love from my parents. Which is a bit different in tennis. It's yeah, it is. It's kind of renowned for pushy parents. Yes, it mm. is. And yeah, like it's funny when you start talking about your parents and what role they played because as a parent now, mm. I think you know how influential and in what they've done for you mm. and what they sacrifice and what they do for you. So yeah, I'm grateful my dad was never 
pushy, pushy, but I'm glad that he pushed me to a point with the support that I had to, mm. to um, sorry. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Did I, you have this kind of reaction before you had kids? No. And now you have a greater understanding. Yeah, yeah I definitely. That. I think being a parent now, knowing what your parents do for you is mm. just a whole level of different appreciation. Mm. Yep. Um, so, yeah, my dad was definitely pushed me to be the best that I could be. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that without being too pushy. Mm. And my mum is just the most beautiful, caring mum and would hug me every time I walked off the court, even when they were at US Open, wherever, whatever tournament I played. Mm. Yeah, I'm super grateful for everything that they did. Mm. And not only from that emotional side and that, but also, you know, my dad, he owned Delacqua Autos, just a mechanic workshop down the road from home. And, you know, he sacrificed so much to mm. give me every, every opportunity. So, yeah, I think and now obviously having my own kids, that's all I want for mm. to give my kids is every opportunity that they can have too. What great role models your parents are for you yeah. and being, becoming a parent now. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Is it strange for you then to look at some of the stories with tennis athletes and their relationships with parents and having a completely different experience? How does that, how do you reflect on your own experience given what you hear about some tennis players having to go through? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a really important piece in our sport, that whole education, particularly for parents, Mm -hmm. because um, it's never healthy to see your, to think your child is a pathway to anywhere. So I think the whole education piece is really important to parents that this is the pathway that you can take in tennis. Um, these are the the guidelines. These are the things that we stand for in our sport. Mm. We stand for good behaviour. We stand to support everyone. And, yeah, I think as a parent, all you want is for your child to enjoy what they do. Mm. And, yeah, I hope that our sport continues to not only produce great tennis players but also really good people. Mm. And I know um, players like Ash Barty, who is obviously our world number one, you cannot have a better role model than mm. someone like her. <laughs> like she is just the epitome of having beautiful parents, mm. being world number one and not changing a single thing of what she stands for, who she is. And I think it's it's a, just a shining light on that it's possible. Mm. And I think it's just a really good example of, of that. When I think about tennis and people who are good enough like you to be on tour, and it's always a bit of a running joke. People say, get your kid into sport. Well, make sure you get them into tennis because <laughs> yeah, it's so it? lucrative. Yeah. Um, look at the money that, you know, all these tennis players make. Mm. But it's not the case, is it, for everyone who's on the tour and especially starting out? What What is it like when you first become a professional tennis player on the tour? Yeah, I'm really gra- glad that you raised it because I think it's um, something important in our sport that I think everyone just thinks that it can be quite a, an easy way to success in that. But the amount of countries that are playing tennis around the world and producing really good players, it's tough. And it is such a tough sport as an individual. I mean, if you've got no financial backing behind you Mm. and that, it's tough. And the first few years out I went on tour, I was, you know, sharing with not one girl, but multiple girls to one of us would rotate and we'd sleep head to toe, one on the floor to save money (laughs) in a hotel room. Um, You know, I can name number of tours and number of tournaments that I was at, Mm. you know, eating dinner from the supermarket, just buying a cheap baguette from in Paris just to, you know, survive. Mm. Um, and sometimes, particularly when you are trying to um, make it, um, there's not a lot of money. And mm. I guess, yeah, it's just really tough. And a very small proportion of people in our sport 
end up making it and making a really good living from it. Mm. And that's why particularly now I've retired and moved on to other roles. It's really um, when I speak to parents or I speak Mm. to younger players, just trying to encourage them to make sure that they put emphasis on their schooling, Mm. um, give them different pathways in tennis that may be going to college in America, but using tennis as a vehicle to have a really great life. Mm. And sometimes it may not only be to be a pro because that is a very difficult pathway. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just that whole, again, education on this is the pathways that you can take and this is maybe where you can end up. And these are all great options too. Mm. There's not just one way and that's to go to the top and make a lot of money. How do you stay motivated when you're sleeping on the floor, three to a room, head yeah. to toe, eating supermarket food, yet trying to get enough money to go around the world to tournament to tournament. If you're not breaking through, how do you keep that motivation and how tough is that? Um, yes, there was so many times in my career where I just wanted to give up, where mm. I wanted to stop. Um, if you speak to a couple of my friends, they'll be like, oh my God, it was what Casey would say <laughs> so many times. <laughs> Obviously I'd say it in passing comment, but there was so many times that I can think of where it was just so difficult and mm. was it was what I wanted to do was my dream worth it with what, you know, I was going through. I was also, particularly during your, for females, I feel during mm. your teenage years, missing out on going to year 12 formals or missing out on going to leavers. Like I never did any of that. Mm. Sometimes that's really hard to um, deal with. Mm. And some, some athletes, maybe they don't care so much, but I cared. And mm. I felt like I was really missing out on a big chunk of that mm. part of my life. Um, I mean, now looking back, it didn't matter so much. But at the time, I remember it being really difficult. And then the other thing that I think kept me going was just the fact that I I was still having fun because I had my friends around. And again, in an individual sport, and that's why I'm often jealous of girls that get to play team sports. And I think that's why I love playing doubles so much Mm. because I thrived on having other people around. Mm. And as long as I was having a bit of fun and it took my mind maybe off the losses that I was having on the road or the lack of prize money I earned for a couple of weeks, Mm. I think I would always get by. But, yeah, there was definitely times um, where I felt like it was all just too much. You know, you read back through articles and people talk about you turning up to tournament in your target clothes. You talk about (laughs) about that. What were sponsorships like in those early days? How hard were they to come by? And when was it that you actually had your break and things started happening on tour? Um, Yeah, so, like, it was never overly easy to get sponsors back years ago, Mm. um, even for rackets or attire and that. um, It was never easy. So again, that was always my parents or the prize money that I earned buying my shoes. And um, (laughs) I did, I I literally would buy most of my clothes from Target, like, you know, just the old $10 tank tops and I'd find some skirts and that's what I just wore because it's all, you know, I could manage at the time. And like I think back now to 2008 and mm. I feel like a totally different, per- like Casey than I am now, yeah. but I um, was a was unknown obviously mm. um, and I made the fourth round of the Australian Open and mm. that's when I just was asked in a media conference how, like, yeah, what clue, like I, I can't even remember the question actually, <laughs> like what even happened? All I knew was that I said, yeah, my clothes are from Target and that's what I do. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> Um, it's stuck. It stuck, yeah. And so then I was grateful to have a really good relationship with Target for a couple of years and they provided me with some playing clothes and stuff. And I still love the, I still love Target. I buy all my kids' clothes from Target now too. <laughs> um, but we yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it was a really, um, 
interesting time because I made fourth rounds after that and I remember soaking up those moments. But back mm. then in 2008, we're beating Emily Moresmo on a yeah, Rod Laver full court. I don't remember any of that happening because I was just so raw and so mm. it was so unexpected. Yeah. Um, so, but that kind of threw me um, into the tennis kind of scene. And then things started rolling from there with sponsors and, and results and, and being in that public eye. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I yeah, so since from that moment on, I definitely, because um, I was then top 100, once you're kind of top 100 in the mm. world, you start to get into more tournaments and you obviously get more confidence and then... I was going to say, how long or what ranking do you need to be for things to stop being so rough? Yeah, look, I think if you're top 150 in the world these days, you're you kind of like making a fair, but that's a very small portion of it is. people when yeah. you think about if you're the 150th best accountant in the world, mm. you're probably still making more money than sometimes tennis players are. There's a very big disparity in between the top and those lesser ranked players still in our sport. So when did you start? Like how long were you on tour from two, um, to, to get to 2008? Yeah, so I played my first Australian Open in 2003. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. That's five long years. Yeah, so yeah. five long years, just grinding away, heaps of losses. Pretty much in tennis, you lose every week. Unless you're winning the tournament every week, you're constantly dealing with a loss. So mm. it's learning to deal with those losses. And then, yeah, once I started to make a little bit of money, things became a bit easier and I would start to get all my rackets and shoes and like all You'd the... You'd have to use your prize money to buy shoes. Yeah, and, and I yeah. could invest in some... Um, I invested a lot more of my money into a physical trainer. So mm-hmm. when I moved to Sydney and after the Beijing Olympics, I had a, sh- a big shoulder surgery and mm-hmm. I decided to move to Sydney. So I've put more of my money into investing in my career, mm-hmm. which, um, yeah, I was the, a, a real turning point. When you invest your own money, um, I had a lot of support. I should say I had a lot of support from Tennis Australia mm-hmm. coming yep. through. Like I definitely was part of tours and I was part of the institute mm-hmm. back then that – they did provide me a pathway and support, so I'm grateful for them, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, once I turned about 22, I was kind of a bit more like on my own, investing my own money. And then when you're spending your own money, you definitely get out there and you work harder and mm. you it's coming out of your own back pocket. So mm. that was um, probably a really good thing for me as well. In those early days, what was your relationship like with the media and how much focus was it on not necessarily Casey performing on court, but on how Casey looked on court. I've found an article from 2009, and this is like the first paragraph. As she leaves the 2000, and you talk about 2008 being a breakthrough year. As she leaves the 2009 Australian Open looking blown out and unfit, the only thing slim about Casey Delacroix right now is her chance of Grand Slam glory. And her target for this upcoming season may be as simple as fitting into the clothes she adorned in her fairy tale 2008 open campaign. Mm. Like that, like, uh, yeah, obviously I haven't heard that for since then. Mm. And it's it actually, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it. But I just don't even think there's a word for it. No, like that's, for me, that's just horrifying to yeah. hear. I would hope that in this day there is never an article written about anyone like that ever, ever, ever again because I do remember that time. Mm. I remember being on the back page of the Herald Sun after the Australian Open and I remember how I was feeling at the time and it's it actually, yeah, gives me goosebumps now because, yeah, I just hope that no 
female athlete would ever have to go through. It still hurts, doesn't it? Oh, it still hurts to this day to think that, I mean, we've come a long way and I think that Mm. there's no way that I think, I hope that that would get published these days. But yeah, it still hurts now. Mm. And it still probably plays a big part in, you know, even when you retire thinking, you know, as a female thinking about your body and Mm. after having a baby and like, you know, Mm. always, it's always in the back of your mind what I, what I went through. It's hard enough being a female athlete worrying about everything, let alone the media on your back. Yeah. How did it make you feel at the time? Yeah. Um, I think the hardest thing was it made me feel crap Mm. but I just remember my mum and my nan just being you know like they you know as a parent too Mm -hmm. like they're supposed to protect you but I felt like my mum and my nan because I'm really close with my nan they couldn't make me feel better no one could at the time Mm. so yeah like yeah it was really hard Tennis was like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Like for a long time and it's taken a long time to kind of turn around the media to stop looking about and taking note about how people and female tennis players looked and to focus on their performance. Yeah. And I think the thing with tennis is that as we've seen over the years, there is no one body shape or no one body type that can be successful in tennis. And I think... If anything, the stronger you are and the more, um, I guess, meat behind the ball you have and that mm. the more, the better tennis player you are going to be. So I just don't think that there's one body type for tennis. If you look at players that have won Grand Slams over the years, we're talking about, mm. you know, Francesca Schiavone, a real short, she's obviously mm. not overly tall, but has so many weapons in so many other ways. And then you've got Serena who's so physically fit and mm. strong and you've got, yeah, a million type of body shapes out there and yeah, there's yeah. no one fit for tennis. Yeah. And I think I would hope that the, most people now focus on the performance. Yeah. What changed for me was when I started to feel like I was training and I was eating for a, for my performance as opposed to trying to train and eat for to lose weight mm. and that. For me it was more yeah. as soon as I switched my focus to being I want to be the best tennis player and how do I do that? Mm. Okay, I need to train like this and I need to eat like mm. this or this is what food is giving me the best nutrients. My whole mindset changed but mm. I was lucky that I had my physical trainers that I chose yeah. and moved to Sydney and I had them, Giselle and Nathan Martin, mm. and they changed my whole outlook on the way that I look at food and the way that I look at myself. Mm. And from that moment on, um, yeah, I was at my fittest and I was at my best mm. throughout the rest of my career. Did that article and that focus, did that change your perception of your own body image? Did it change the way you eat and behaved as well? Yeah, I think um, for a period of time you go through the, well, I can't kind of eat anything because of what has been said about me. Mm. Not that I ever would say I ever had a real eating kind of disorder, Mm. but definitely I didn't have a healthy relationship with food. Mm. And yeah, I don't think for any female as an athlete, that's something that you should have to go through because it's not healthy. Yeah. So um, yeah, it definitely changed a lot of things. When did you start seeing things change with the media and with about body image and those kind of disgusting articles that I just read out then? When did you start noticing a change? Look, I think probably only in the last few years, if Mm. anything, 
you know, I was obviously under scrutiny for a number of years, but I can name a number of other players that have been thrown out in the media because of the way that they looked mm. as opposed to their performance. So I don't feel like it's gone completely. Mm. Um, but I think over the last few years, I think that there's been a shift and I would hope that it certainly beco- becomes something that's not mm. even spoken about yeah. ever again. Did you feel like you could speak up and shut it down at the time? No, definitely not. Mm. No, I just probably, if anything, went into a bit of hiding. Um, mm. I remember after that Australian Open, I had my shoulder rico in February of mm-hmm. that year. And I remember just, it was actually a really big turning point in my yeah. life because I had shoulder surgery pretty much February of 09, straight after the AOI, then moved, I rented a car. I was always living in Melbourne at the time Mm -hmm. um, because I was at the Australian Institute of Sport, which was based in Melbourne and had just kind of set up shop there. But then um, I rented a car and I drove to Sydney Mm -hmm. back when I was 20, I think I must have been 21 or 22. And I had reached out to Giselle and Nathan Martin who Mm -hmm. lived here in Sydney and they had worked with like Martina Navratilova, Mm -hmm. had worked with a number of high profile tennis players. Yeah. And in my mind, I just wanted to get fit. I wanted Mm. to use the time um, having my shoulder surgery to put all of that, you know, stuff, nasty stuff that was written Mm. about me away. And yeah, so Nathan and Giselle Martin are like two of my biggest, yeah, I guess, um, people in my life that played a real influential part because Mm. they got me at my worst, probably Mm. the worst ever, obviously injured, not in a great mental state. Mm. I lived with them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Giselle was pregnant with her first child. Mm. So it was a really special time that um, I got to share sure, with her. Yeah. And we trained like together with her and her husband, like Nathan's her husband. Mm. And we trained endlessly for nine months while I was recovering. She mm. had her first child in the meantime. And I kind of just set up a whole new life up here. Yeah. Um, and like I said, they changed my mentality towards food. I cooked with them because I was living with them. I was in yeah, the kitchen yeah. with them. They were teaching me. And I really trusted them Mm. and I felt like, yeah, we had a really strong bond. And I think once you get that trust with someone too, Mm. and I felt like I could open up and I could be emotional Mm. if that was what was getting me. So, um, yeah, that was a real big turning point. And from that moment on, um, I've been in Sydney and they're my lifelong friends now. So, yeah. It was 2009 when, and during your break, when you were recovering from shoulder surgery, was that when you met your partner, Amanda, as well? Yeah, it was. Yeah. How did you so, meet? Yeah, my partner, um, Amanda and Giselle, my fitness trainer, are really good friends. And so at the oh. time, Amanda was playing rugby sevens for Australia, actually. Wow. Well, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. And um, she was a, they both had a big touch footy background. Mm. And just before, I think Amanda was about to go to a World Cup, she broke her ankle. And so Giselle said, oh, I've got this great girl that you'll be able to train with. She's going through something similar. <laughs> and then, yeah, so um, I met Amanda and, yeah, we've kind of been inseparable ever since. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think everyone in the world knows when you're happy and you are happy in your personal life. That definitely played a big impact in how I was mentally, what mm. I wanted to do with my tennis. I was just happy. And mm. that was, um, yeah, a really nice memory Of all the bad stuff that I guess I'd come out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked about being a doubles player before, but I just want to pick up on that as well um, because you just became a prolific doubles (laughs) player. Um, Seven WTA titles, one mixed doubles Grand Slam 
French Open, seven Grand Slam finals. And you touched on it before. Why? Are you more of a, you know, tennis is such an individual sport, but are you more of a a team player? Um, Yeah, I think I am more of a team player. I definitely probably should have um, played a team sport (laughs) because I think um, if there's any... Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like Fed Cup... To this day, um, the best memories of my career. Yeah. Um, I could name a million doubles matches, but looking back, I had a great singles career. Like mm. I got to top 30 in the world in singles and I had a, a great singles top career. 20, was 26 Six, your highest yeah. ranking? Yeah. And actually it's funny because like obviously I had so much success in doubles, but I think people forget sometimes that I played a yep. bit of singles, which is fine. I think that just happens naturally. But, yeah, I probably should have played a team sport because I loved Fed Cup. Mm. Um, growing up, I loved all the team events in tennis that I could play. Um, I loved playing doubles and I loved playing doubles with someone that I enjoyed playing with, mm. hence probably why Ash and I had so much success because yeah. we just had so much fun off the court Yeah, um, and we were best friends. So it just made it so easy. Yeah. And um, there's such an age gap with you and Ash, isn't there? Yeah. Like, but that never... Yeah. Never, never stop. You were, you were good friends. I was going to ask you about that relationship with, um, and that friendship with Ash. Yeah. So we were, um, we're like 10 years apart. I first met her when she was 13 years of age. We played doubles up in Brisbane. She texted me and said, did, there was a wild card and would I be keen to play? And I thought I was, I think I was. You're 23 and a 13 year old says, do you want to play doubles? Pretty much. That's kind of different (laughs) from a 23 year old and a 33 year old wanting to play doubles, you know? I know. And I was quite highly ranked at the time. And I remember thinking, do I really want to play with (laughs) Ash or do I um, want to play with someone that I could get in with my own ranking, for example? And I thought, no, you know what? I'm I'm all for, and I, encourage it now with all of our yeah. younger athletes about giving back and mm. you know you always there's always got to be that next person to look up to and so I thought yeah I'm gonna um team up with Ash <laughs> and Ash, you said nah sorry I know 13, too young I know exactly but I said yeah sliding sure. doors moment I know it would have been and god I'm thankful and not only because of the tennis career the success we had together mm. but also our friendship which is so I don't know like precious to me so yeah, it was um, a really special time. And, yeah, there's an age difference, but I guess, yeah, we just we got along because of our love for other sports, our yeah, love for yeah. footy, our love for family, yeah. our love for very similar things in life. So same I think values. That, same values, yeah. same way, same outlook on a lot of situations in life, and I think that we just bonded over that. I'm going to sound really cruel when I ask you this question. But um, I'm going to ask you it anyway. Oh, gosh. I hate, you know, people go, oh, you know, oh, you're disappointed with silver. Like I yes. feel like we put so much pressure on people. But I'm going to ask it anyway because <laughs> so many doubles Grand Slam finals, you and Ash were the only Australian pairing to make the final of all four Grand yes. Slams. Yeah. But there, there was a mixed doubles Grand Slam in yeah. the French Open, like I mentioned. Yeah. But none. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I feel bad. I don't no, want to say that's okay. it. But Thanks for like, reminding me. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I'm a big loser. Like, oh, so close. Like that's a lot of Grand Slam finals. Yeah, it is. And you know what? I felt like, um, yeah, at the and I, I'd made seven with multiple partners, mm. four, four of those with Ash and then with other partners as well. But yeah, I feel like it's one of those moments that's like so close yet so far. Mm. And I felt like the last, there were some of those Grand Slams that I felt we could have won and then there were some that we just were never close. Mm. But I felt like 
at the last couple of Grand Slam finals, I played like I really, I had my a different mentality. It was like, well, just because, because everyone kept saying to mm. me, oh, if you keep making them, you'll eventually get one. <laughs> and I was like, got to the point where I was like, well, no, nothing's ever handed to you. Every, no. You always got to go out and earn it and mm. you got to find a way to win. So I changed my mentality and I feel like the last couple I literally did everything we could to mm-hmm. try and win and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Whereas there was a few where I felt like it was just supposed to happen because I kept making them right. and I don't think that was a, a really good mentality yeah, to yeah. have. And then when I retired, I felt like it was something that was always playing on my mind a bit like, should I just keep playing for a bit longer because mm. I may get that one women's doubles Grand Slam that I never got. Mm. And then you have kids and then you realise that <laughs> it does not matter. <laughs> it really does not matter. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to be remembered for winning a Grand Slam women's doubles title. Mm. I want to be remembered for other things. And that was always really important to me. So, you know, I talked it through with my partner mm. and like going into retirement, would it be something that I would be consumed by? Mm. And I can say, honestly, yeah, I haven't been. And there are a lot of people that never made seven women's doubles finals. So oh, one, <laughs> like all got to that. I was like, I don't want to diminish what you did because there's no. no diminishing that. It's incredible yeah. what you yeah. did. But yeah, Thanks. yeah, I wondered whether like so close. But like you yeah. said, does it give you comfort that you put everything into that? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like at the end of the day with most things, that's all you can do. And I did that. And yeah, I'm still really proud of my career, but it would have been nice to win one. <laughs> you got the mixed doubles. You got I the French Open. Mixed, yeah, and that yeah. was the highlight, one of the highlights of my career. And yeah, like I guess I can still say I'm a Grand Slam champion in some way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's what was meant to be was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you talk about kids, and it was so important for you. You travelled on the road when you and Amanda um, had Blake, your first child. You've got three. Yeah. Um, how was that? How tough was that travelling on the road? With with Blake. Yeah. And on the road means all around the world. Yeah. So obviously with tennis, you um, are nine months away um, at a time. Mm. Uh, well, coming back and forth, but you're on the road a lot. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've, it was an interesting time because I've always had a very, um, I've had unconditional, as I've said, love from my entire family. Mm. And when Manda fell pregnant, it was something that everyone kind of knew, but the media didn't really know. Mm. And then I missed a lot of tournaments between Wimbledon and US Open and Blake was born um, just before US Open started. So I was home for the birth and then I kind of got questioned why I hadn't been playing and just said, well, I was home for the birth of our first son. And then, yeah, from that moment on, I became, you know, obviously a parent and your life changes. Mm. And we took him on the road from when he was about 12 weeks old um, and any parent knows with your first child, well, I'm not sure what you felt like, but we were thrown <laughs> like for six. Yeah. I was like, this is... Um, Still. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a whole life-changing experience. And then to be on the road, I guess, made it more challenging mm. in a lot of ways, just not having that kind of routine. We were in hotel to hotel week mm. after week. I think it was probably hard. Babies on don't deal with jet lag very well no, at all. they don't. Yeah. They don't deal with jet lag and they don't deal with like, well, I don't know. A lot of kids seem to be quite adaptable, but ours loved routine and ours loved that kind of, so going from place to place was difficult, probably Mm. more difficult for Amanda because at least I got to go out and play a bit of tennis. Yeah, yeah. Um, But now looking back, that were probably some of the best memories that I've got. Yeah. Being on the road with him, he got to come to 
every Grand Slam, we put him in the creche at Wimbledon with all the oh, other there's little... There's a creche. Yeah, there's a creche at the <laughs> Grand, Grand Slams. Slams. Yeah, so he yeah. got to go in with all the other little tennis kids. Now the creche is like overflowing. Back in 2013 when we had Blake, it was quite rare to see even kind of mums on tour. Yeah, right. But as the years have evolved, we've got so many mums now yeah. um, out there on tour. And also, obviously, fathers that their wives are travelling with. Say, did he play with, like, Federer's twins yeah. and things like two sets of twins? <laughs> well, they had their own private nannies, but they did go. But they did each, I think, probably. <laughs> but they did go into um, the creche with the kids often. And yeah. That. But yeah, so it was... Um, it was a really nice experience to have that time um, with your firstborn and it was kind of just felt like we were in our bubble all the time and I was playing and mm. that was the most successful time of my career because I was so happy as well. I was going to play but at the end of the day I'd come home and I would become Casey the mum and I just felt like tennis was not the be all and end all mm. and that really for the rest of my career um, changed my outlook on sport and how I was going to go about it. And you played your best tennis after Blake yeah. was born. Yeah, played my best tennis because I was just happy and I he didn't care if I won or lost. I would come back to the <laughs> hotel and as long as I played with him or, um, you know, he was always proud. Yeah. Um, well, he wouldn't have been proud because he's only little, but he was just happy because yeah. he had mum around, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were really special times and obviously look back on the photos and all the travel with you and I look back and I think, oh, gosh, how did we even do that? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, really special memories. When you did have Blake uh, in 2013, you mentioned about the media not really knowing that Amanda was, was pregnant, probably not even really knowing about Amanda no. as well. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Australian tennis, great. Yep. Margaret Court wrote a letter to the editor. Yes. Talking about and really questioning your um, having... Blake um, put even putting, oh, I'm getting emotional, um, <laughs> Amanda in inverted commas as your partner mm -hmm. and talking about how we're creating a fatherless generation. Mm -hmm. At the time, hearing that from Margaret Court or reading that in the paper, mm -hmm. like how disappointing was that at the time? Yeah, it was. In such a joyful time of your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing that for me that was disappointing was the fact that any parent knows the birth of your first child is the most mm. amazing thing and joyful and special time in your life. And I felt that it was disappointing to feel like I had to deal with something that I shouldn't mm. have to because this child is being brought into the world with two parents that love it mm. and an entire extended family and more than we could have wished for with all the mm. love that was surrounding um, Blake. So I think that was, I think for me it was the most disappointing thing was that I had to deal with that as opposed to feeling like I could just, you know, be with my family. But we didn't respond at the time and I'm really grateful for that because it wasn't important for us to respond. Mm. It wasn't important for us to focus on that. It was a, to focus on the positives and I'm really grateful at the time that we um, just put it aside and got on with what was the best time of our life. How did you hear about it? Did you read it in the paper or did someone bring it to your attention? Well, or? I wasn't in Western Australia at the time, so it was in the West Australian. But, yeah, I had been sent it. All my family lives in Perth, so obviously yeah. everyone had read it. Yeah, at, at the time there was obviously a lot of things that I would have liked to have said, but we didn't say anything. Mm. And it kind of got squashed because there was no – I didn't reply. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. And um, we just wanted to kind of put it to the side. 
because Margaret Court's obviously from WA. Mm. Did you have um, a professional relationship with Margaret Court over the years being, you know, so high profile and tennis player and coming yeah. from the same same town essentially as, as Margaret? Yeah, I um, I knew Margaret and I have the utmost respect for her, what she did on the tennis court. I think what she has done for our sport is incredible and I think she will always be one of the greatest to have ever played our game. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I grew up, I got the opportunity to hit with her, which I was um, very grateful for. So I guess, um, yeah. Does that compound that disappointment then? Um, now I think... Don't I don't get so consumed by it, I guess, mm. because I just, um, I'm so, yeah, I don't, to be honest, think about it too much anymore. Yeah. But yeah, of course, particularly with someone that you know, mm. um, it's probably even a little bit more disappointing. Yeah. In 2017, you did decide to respond. Yes. Yeah. And then you retweeted yeah. um, the image of this yes. article. Yeah. Why then? Well, like I said, back in 2013, I pretty much just squashed it and put it to the side because I didn't feel like it was important to respond. Mm-hmm. But when the whole same-sex marriage stuff was happening in Australia, mm-hmm. um, I just felt like it was really difficult time, I guess, for so many Australians. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to speak up because I was a few years older. At the time, I felt really comfortable with mm. who I was and my family and I felt like I could cope with being because sometimes when you're a tenant sometimes when you're an athlete you don't often want to deal with external stuff because sure. my focus is to be a tennis player my focus is to win my focus mm. is to train hard and do all of that and sometimes you don't want to become a spokesperson for other things whilst you are still playing sure but I was obviously um coming a little bit further in my career mm. and I was a little bit older and I felt like I could cope with mm. being outspoken about that stuff. Yeah. So I think that was for me the biggest thing was if I did this um, to make sure that I could still play and I was in a really good space that I could cope because I knew that it would probably cause a bit of <laughs> <laughs> controversy. Controversy. So, um, yeah, just to make sure that I was ready for that. And I was and I'm really glad I did because yeah. it was an important time for so many Australians and sometimes there's just a point in life where you have to stand up for things that are right mm. as a as a role model, um, even though that feels weird for me to say that about myself. But, um, <laughs> it's just so humble. <laughs> no, I think you it's just model. really important to sometimes um, be that person to speak up for other Australians. And mm. it, for me, it felt like the right time. So that's when I did that. I want to talk about another big moment in your career, and that was in 2015 oh, when yeah. you suffered a concussion now you think tennis we think football mm-hmm. <laughs> concussions a big thing in sport at the moment but you yeah. don't necessarily relate tennis to concussion but that no. wasn't the case what happened yeah so um i was playing with um my partner at the time Shved- Yaroslav Shvedova and we had already made the season ending championships um my doubles was going fantastic my singles was also I was top 100 in the world um, I was in Beijing and it was kind of like one of those moments where I just, I don't, well, I actually don't remember it happening. And um, until I saw the video um, of what happened. But yeah, I basically was running back for a ball and kind of tripped over my own feet and I couldn't get my hands down. And so I just fell back and slammed the back of my head onto the hard court. Mm. And yeah, I don't remember much from then on except, um, you know, being in the hospital in Beijing and just pretty much being, you know, concussed 
Mm. Um, at the time, I don't remember getting to the hospital. There's a period, about 15 minutes of that, that I still can't recall. Did you black out on court? No, so I didn't. So I, there was, we were almost at match point. Mm. We lost the match, but I don't remember. I didn't, I don't think I hit an, I don't, didn't hit another ball after that because I wasn't in doubles. I wasn't involved in the hitting, but. You played on? Yeah, played on, match finished. I came off the court. I just started vomiting and started kind of having symptoms of concussion. Mm. And thankfully, God, I don't know why, because at the time Amanda was there with me, yeah. um, but we had left our son Blake at home with his aunties. She was just away for a week with me. Mm. And so I woke up in the hospital. Yeah, it was concussed. And then I just kind of thought it was going to be one of those things that like a week later I'd be fine. Mm. Like I just kind of needed to sleep it off. I went back to the hotel room. I had the season season ending championships, which um, was the biggest event of mm. our calendar the week or 10 days after. But I thought I'll just go back to Sydney and I'll sleep it off and then I'll fly to Singapore for mm. the championships. But I got home um, from Beijing and I had the like all these post-concussion symptoms, like mm. my memory was terrible. I felt so bad because I got home and Blake was like, mummy, come and do this. Mummy, come and do that. I could not leave the house. I had the worst headaches. I didn't look at my phone for weeks. I couldn't look at the TV. Felt like the only safe place was for me to be in the dark. Once those kind of physical symptoms died off, I thought I would also be okay. Mm. But I just remember feeling like, and I've never really been an anxious person. Like I'm so social Mm. and I can kind of deal with any situation, any moment. I'm pretty robust like that. But I just remember feeling really anxious to leave the house, Mm. feeling like, um, yeah, it was, everything was just too much. I couldn't go for a walk. And that was really worrying for me because Mm. yeah, I've never felt like that before. So I ended up having to pull out of the end of year championships and I actually never played singles again after that injury, which I've never really spoken about much or gone Mm. into much detail, I guess, about. But, yeah, I just could never find it in me to feel like I could get back to playing singles. So even at that time, I didn't think I'd get back. I thought my career was done. I thought Mm. I was done because I not only had suffered a concussion that I felt hit me for six physically Mm. but also mentally and I just thought oh, this is, I've been through a lot. Can I keep pushing? Mm. Um, we had our daughter, Andy, in April of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so from kind of the rest of that 2015 until Andy was born and then we were just into motherhood again. We then had mm. two kids and I kind of had put tennis to the side. Mm. Didn't, wasn't hitting, wasn't really engaging with tennis at all. Mm. And then... Ash decided to come back. From and, cricket? Yeah, from yeah. cricket and have a – and I had kind of put the tennis rackets aside. I never was said I was retired, but I was thinking it was going to be very difficult for me to come back. And yeah. then Ash said to me um, – Ash came down to Sydney. We are just catching up. Mm. She said, do you want to go for a hit? So we went out and had a hit and then kind wow. of like one thing led to another and before we knew it, like she was back playing and mm. I was like, okay, well, I'll have a go too. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, within a couple of years we were back to top 10 in the world in doubles and we were kind of making Grand Slam finals again. Yeah. So, um, and so be it. But, um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful for getting back to tennis after yeah. that concussion 
because it could have been definitely the end of my career and I would have hated to have finished on finished that, that way that way. Yeah. How long before you got back to playing? When was after your concussion? Um, how soon before you got back? Well, I did try and go back, um, I think, in early 2017 even, mm. but I still went back and wasn't quite quite ready, so I took protected ranking again. So, yeah. How probably, did you know you weren't quite ready? It was just the mental barrier for me. Like it was the mental side of getting back out on court and just mm. feeling like I could play uninhibited, but I always felt like quite anxious on the court even while I was playing, mm. which I'd never felt like I loved playing. Yeah. Once I got on that tennis court, I was like all guns blazing, but I felt like I was, I was inhibited in a way that was detrimental to my performance. And I just thought, yeah, this is not the Casey that I want to be on the tennis court. And is that psychological or was that as a result of something physical that happened with concussion essentially like bruising on the brain, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, like it was quite distressing, the whole concussion and that whole, I guess, injury was quite traumatic. Mm. I hate that people have been through so much worse than me. So Mm. I'm very grateful that I just had one concussion and I'm not probably in a sport where you can get multiple concussions because Mm. what I experienced from one, I would hate to know what getting multiple ones feels like. And um, since then, I've tried to reach, if anyone's reached out to me about concussions, I'm so happy to try and talk to them about it or Mm. be an advocate for concussion because, yeah, what I experienced was not nice. Mm. And, yeah, like I said, I'm just grateful that I was in a sport where I didn't feel, I felt like it was quite a unique injury and a rare one that Mm. maybe wouldn't happen. But yeah, for me, psychologically, it was hard to get past the whole trauma of that. Where you would have had extensive scans and brain scans and things as well. Yeah. So that was all good. Um, Yes, I was grateful. Like I was all fine. Um, I would just have a lot of the tests done where they would count back numbers. And like in the Mm. short term, I couldn't remember if they said, remember these numbers and I'd be kind of failing a lot of tests and stuff. And that was making me anxious because I always felt, you know, again, I was so switched on and mm. I'm like, I've got kids and I can organise this and I can do that and I can I can make, I can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never felt, but I felt like because I couldn't remember a bunch of numbers that were repeated to me a number of times, I was like, it was making me really anxious mm. and like the stress of that was, yeah, horrible. You tried to go back and in one of your first tournaments, it ended in tears, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I, um, Tell me about that. Yeah, it was at Fed Cup and I, we were in Slovakia and I was playing with Sam Stoza mm. and it was two all and Sam and I had to go out there and play the deciding r- doubles rubber. Mm-hmm. It was the first match that, yes, I had competed in since my concussion. I was already so anxious about going on that trip, having leaving now two kids behind and mm. kind of getting back into tennis. And, um, yeah, we won that match and we won the tie for Australia and it was like a massive moment. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I couldn't enjoy it. I was so anxious and it was not yeah. a nice feeling. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I, can't, I don't want to play tennis for that reason. I don't want to be on the court if that's what, how I'm going to feel. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then even after that, I did play in America for a few tournaments mm-hmm. in New Wales and Miami and same thing was happening. And that's when I kind of put down the rackets and said, yeah, no, I really need to um, get this right. Yeah, and if I yeah. do, I may come back. If I don't. I won't, but um, I eventually did, yeah. That was when Ash caught yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way that I would have got back if it wasn't for Ash. So you're both making a massive comeback. Yeah, we're both, um, we're both coming back from dif- for different reasons mm. um, at different times of our lives in 
at different ages, different kind of, you know, careers. Mm. But yeah, I'm so, so grateful for that happening, the timing. I mm. think sometimes in life, timing is everything. And it just was one of those things that was meant to be. So we traveled um, to like Port Piri, which was just a smaller mm-hmm. event when she was kind of first coming back. And we flew into Adelaide, rented a car, drove there, played, played mm. there, and then um, kind of just stepped it up over the the next 12 months or Mm. so and um yeah we both got back and then I obviously never played singles again so I focused a lot more on doubles Mm -hmm. I probably knew in my heart I wasn't going to play for a a lot longer because we had the two kids at home Mm. and I think I'd just been through so much that there was something in me that wanted to I don't think any athlete ever gets the happy ending with the when you retire, yeah, the yeah. fairy tale ending. Yeah, so I knew that, but I'm like, I still want it to be better than going out with a really nasty yeah. concussion. It's somewhat fairy tale though, like isn't it? With Ash coming back and you guys, yeah. as you said, getting back to top ten and yeah. And the thing was, like, I actually got everything I could have wanted in the end because I retired. On my birthday, funnily enough, on hmm. Feb 11, a couple of years ago, I was playing Fed Cup for Australia, which mm. was everything that I loved about my sport was representing yeah. my country. I got to be out on court with a, um, the captain, Alicia Mollick, who's one of my best friends, yeah. and my best friend, Ash, playing. <laughs> um, and it was a deciding rubber to, w- again, win for Australia. <laughs> and um, so, and we won. Yeah. What I liked most was that no one really knew I was retiring or mm. no one did accept those closest to me. So I had my mum and my dad there and I had my brother. My sister, unfortunately, couldn't make it. She was having a baby. And (laughs) then I had my manager that I had worked with for years, Giselle and Nathan, and my Mm. all-time favourite person, Stinger, who was my coach for my career. So they're pretty much my tight-knit team, Casey. People were there and that was was it. And I had a a great send-off and we all got drunk after. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a good. great party. Yeah. So it sounds good. pretty perfect. Yeah, no, it I was think. really good. It was really good. coming full circle, like you said, with the Fed Cup and finishing with a win and with Ash yeah. and Alicia. Yeah. Sounds pretty sounds pretty fairy tale like, if yeah. you ask me. Um I was I'm pretty stoked with it and looking back on photos, like I'm really glad that that was my last ever mm. match that I ever played. Um I officially retired a couple of months after that. I just wanted some time to Make sure I've made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, after that, I kind of, yeah, retired. And then a couple of months later, I fell pregnant. So our third baby. So, um, yeah, and like life after sport, I think it's a it's quite a difficult time. Mm. But if I'm completely honest, I haven't even had time to think too much about. <laughs> you got pregnant a couple of months later. Yeah. yeah. And then um, as we became parents of three, I don't think I've even had time to think about retirement. So it's if there's any advice, it'd be like have a kid or have kids, and you'll be distracted. Yeah, from you won't have to think about no. it. Um, so what's what's in the future for for Casey now? You commentate, you do a lot in the media, um, especially yep. with the Australian Open and the Australian Summer of Tennis, yep. and coaching. Yeah, so I've kind of um, used the last couple of years I, before I retired. I when I knew that I was kind of heading towards mm. that pathway, I. Um, did a bit of commentary whilst I was still playing mm-hmm. just to kind of set myself up for when I did finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy the media, media stuff. I yep. really enjoy, I love the sport, so I like commentating. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that, which, yeah, has been great and I've been grateful for some opportunities in that space. 
I am doing my high performance coaching course at yes. the moment, um, which is great. I, I love having a touch point on court still. Mm-hmm. And um, I do work with Tennis New South Wales as their women and girls lead as well. So I find right. that a really rewarding um, role at the moment, mm. particularly with COVID getting my teeth stuck into some initiatives mm-hmm. that can really help women and girls in tennis. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, I've been really grateful for some opportunities and I'm kind of just a let's try everything at the moment and um, I'm sure one I'll head in one direction eventually. Yeah. But um, I think it's really important when you retire to not um, just solely focus sometimes on one thing because someone actually told me you'll feel fully retired about three years after you actually retire. Mm. And I feel like I'm kind of coming up to that three years where like I feel like I've finally let go of that Casey was a tennis player in some mm. ways. And now these are these other opportunities that I've, I'm getting and where will that take me? Do you still, I heard you say that down at the park sometimes people ask you what you do for a job and you're like, oh, I play tennis. And they're like, oh yeah, I play tennis too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it so happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. And especially like when I'm talking to like, you know, when you meet other mums at the park and stuff yep. and like, They'll be like, how old are your kids? And what do you, oh, what do you do? And yeah, I just throw it. Oh, I, I play tennis. <laughs> They're like, I play tennis too. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Sometimes I take a different path now, but. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. They're quite funny conversations. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I, I have to say as well, like I'm probably the most important job out of all those jobs. And the one that you're most successful at is being a mum. Oh. <laughs> I love being a mum. I, it is, and you would know as well, mm. like it is the hardest, most rewarding <laughs> um, job that you can have and it's the biggest responsibility in life that you have is to make sure that you raise, you know, happy, resilient kids. So it's tough and with the three, like we're busy, but, yeah, I absolutely love being a mum. So And straight away it. you tears in your eyes. Oh, I know. They're, God, they kill you, though. <laughs> <laughs> they kids, don't they? Like, they totally get you. Um, yeah, like they're just amazing. I love them. And I love, yeah, I love, love, love being a mum. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes not all the chores that go with it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, being a parent is the best thing. Well, we finish off every podcast by asking what advice you would give to little Casey Delacqua. Yes. The 10-year-old Casey Delacqua. Um, okay, so I would tell a little 10-year-old Casey Delacqua to to make sure that she has a ton more confidence when she looks in the mirror, mm-hmm. um, to have a lot of, have a lot more confidence, to love yourself, to take care of yourself um, and to, yeah, just enjoy, I guess, enjoy the journey pretty much. Casey, I've loved this chat. Thank you so much for sharing yeah, your story. Thank you with so much for having me. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app, or search On Her Game podcast.